Hey, well, good evening. My name is Kristen. I am so glad. Thank you. I appreciate that. I am so glad that you guys are here. We are talking about, like Brad said, knowing you. It's the third part of our series, and we're going to be answering the question, who am I? Who? I mean, simple enough, right? Who am I? That's the question. And I would say that whether this is your first time or whether you've been here all semester, we all kind of want to know who we are. I think some ways college is about trying to figure out, well, who am I? You know, we're trying to get these degrees and we are getting new jobs and trying out old jobs and we're all wondering, who am I? You know, and I was thinking about this question and I thought, I wonder what the internet has to say about this idea of who am I? So I just put it, I Googled it, I Googled who am I? I'm like, you know, try it. It's super interesting, not now but later, and what you'll get is this, like, pages and pages of tests and assessments that test your personality and your skill, and that's how the internet says that you're going to figure out who you are. It was interesting, but at the end of the day, I thought, well, that doesn't really help me, because now all I know is what I'm good at and what skills I have, and that maybe I'd be better at a people-type job as opposed to a task-type job, but that still isn't who I am. So that's not going to really work. And what's even more interesting is that our brains are designed to fill in the gaps. Our brains are functioned to try to constantly figure out what's real and what's not real. So 100% of the time, when we're thinking about who am I, our brains are constantly trying to find an answer to that. Because it's really fascinating to me. We were designed, we were created to have concrete answers. And what's also interesting is that your brain, if it can't find the answer, it's designed to make something up. Isn't that interesting? It's designed to fill in the gaps. It just, it can't. It's incapable of living without answers. So if you don't have this answer, your brain will make something up and then tell you that it's true. It's, I was thinking about, gosh, where, where have I found myself doing this? And I thought, oh my gosh, social settings all the time, all the time. True story, this is exactly what this looks like, of your brain trying to figure out answers. So I'll walk into this brand new social environment. Maybe for some of you, you had this experience. You walked in tonight, and this was your first, well, hopefully, when I'm about to tell you, this isn't your experience. But for some of you, this might have been your first time coming here. And so when I come to a brand, brand new environment where I don't know anyone, I'll probably ask a friend to come meet me there. It's awkward for me sometimes to walk into a room by myself. And so I'll say, hey, friend, meet me at such and place. They will. So I'll show up first. I'm prompt. I will show up first. So I get there, and I walk in. And then all of a sudden, this is what my brain's doing. Within the first 10 seconds, my brain is going, oh, my gosh, I don't know anyone. No one's smiling at me. No one said hi to me. They're all talking. They all know each other. They don't know me. They're not looking at me. Something's wrong oh my gosh, my friend's not coming. Why is my friend not here? That's it, my friend is not coming. I knew my friend was not coming. Why would they not text me and tell me that they're not coming? That's it, I am never doing anything with that person again. They don't even show up when they say they're supposed to show up. My shoes, my my jacket, why am I wearing this? I'm underdressed, I'm overdressed. I'm not dressed like these people. That's it, I don't fit in. I knew I didn't fit in. I'm leaving, I'm leaving. I'm never coming back, I'm leaving. I'm leaving and I leave. All within 10 seconds. 10 seconds because there was no answers. Your brain has to figure out an answer. Now, let's say my friend had walked in in the middle of all of that going on in my mind. That would have been an entirely different, you know, because all of a sudden it's like introduce, here's a fact. Here's something concrete. So now all those other made up things that I had convinced myself were true, 
it would just be, there'd be a non-issue. That's how our brain is worked. And the same thing, it, it relates to this question, who am I? Our brain does the exact same thing. Our brain is constantly trying to figure out, who are you? Who are you? And if your brain and your mind can't figure out an answer, it'll just make stuff up. And you'll start believing things about yourself that may or may not be true. You don't really, and then you'll act, but you'll start acting as if it is true because your brain desperately wants answers, even to this question, who am I? And so it's really complicated to try to figure out what is true, what is not true, and to make it even more complicated. Last week, if you were here, Brad talked about the idea that we have a very real enemy, Satan, who wants nothing more than to confuse you and to cause you to doubt yourself and to cause you to question. Now, I get some of you, you're like, okay, this is my first time here, and this girl is talking about Satan. Okay, I can totally understand that if this is your first time here, that might sound crazy and weird. I get that. So let me just say this. All of our talks or online, they're on our podcast. So if you missed last week, just go out and check it out on our podcast because it will put a lot of this into perspective and it won't sound quite so crazy. But all of this stuff is going on as we're trying to figure out who am I? Who am I? Now, I don't know how you guys grew up, but I'm gonna give you a little bit of insight as to how I grew up. And what I realized is that during my entire childhood and teenage years, I was constantly trying to figure out the question to, who am I? And to be quite honest, I thought I had gotten it right. I really did. I thought the things that I was doing, I thought, I thought it was right. And so here's one way that I like to think about it. It just helps me with a visual to figure out, okay, how do I make sense of this whole topic of identity? So think of it like this. Here's, here's your identity. And what I was doing is I was trying to constantly find things to answer this question, who am I, and to fill the sense of identity. So here's what it looked like for me. You know, when I was growing up, I was really, really young, early on, I had a family that was intact, picture of a family, you know, and we had family vacations and family dinners and we had actual real conversations around the table and a lot of my friends didn't. And I really liked being identified as someone who had a mom and a dad in the same house. And so I, I filled my sense of identity with the fact that my family was together and that was a big deal. You know, I was also a runner. I was, you know, I pretty early on when I was in middle school, I realized I could run faster than the girls and the boys. That was awesome. You know, when you're in middle school, you got to wear this special shirt. If you could, you had one of the fastest times in the school. Yes, of course, I wore that shirt with pride. And, I, you know, it was really cool being able to identify yourself. And everyone knows, oh, there's Kristen. You know, she can run. Don't even try. She's going to beat you and the boys. So I identified, you know, I, I identified like that. Another thing is I, you know, I was good at math. Math was logical to me. It made sense. I got, I got math. I, I love that people knew that I was smart in math. I even went on to teach algebra after I graduated from college. Like, I like math. People knew it. They knew that they could come to ask me for help. There you go. I was also an, an older sister. Now, I don't know why Barbie has pink hair and why Skipper is wearing short shorts. What are we teaching these kids? Uh, but older sister, younger sister. I had a younger sister. And I thought that my job was to protect her. Well, 
first my job was to be mean to her, and I pretty much nailed that. But then it was to protect her. And so I identified as, a, you know, a sis, an older sister with the younger sister. Let's put those guys right there. And lastly, it's <laughs> funny, lastly, I raised sheep. I raised sheep. Now, you were all tracking with me until I said I raised sheep. So let me explain, because this was a huge part of my life. I mean, huge part of my life. So I, for 10 years, I raised 10 sheep. I can look at them still to this day, see pictures of them, and tell you what their names were. But here, let me just, let me, I'm going to put this into context. So, so here's me with my first sheep. Oh, that's so sweet. Thanks. So here's me with my first sheep. Now, usually how this works is people are going... Here's me with my first goldfish, or here's me with my hamster, or here's the time my parents finally let me get a puppy. And mine's like, here's me with my first sheep. <laughs> so I would raise sheep. So you can go to the next, the reason why I raise sheep, you can go to the next picture, is I would raise them at the fair every year. And so you had to wear this uniform, blah, 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 blah. That's me in my uniform with the sheep. But I identified, I identified by that. I did it for 10 years. Everyone knew. I live in a small town. Everyone knew I did that. I would get up at 5.45 every single morning so I could take care of the sheep so I can get on the school bus by 7.30. That was my life all the way until I was 18 years old. And I identified by that. And I got lots of ribbons. Thank you, Mom, for preserving the ribbons. And I loved it. And that was how I would identify myself. And now, the interesting thing is that as all that was happening, there was another thing happening called life. Life happened. Life happened. So there was one day I was in the, I was in the arena with my sheep. <laughs> you can go to this picture. That's me, by the way. So I'm in this arena. So you're showing that you're showing your sheep, and so everyone's gonna, everyone's sitting in the grandstands, and that's the judge. They got the microphone. They're judging you. Well, one day I was in there, and my sheep was out of, con- I mean, out of control, and it just was, it was just one of the, it just spooked really easy, and so every time the, anyone would come near it, it would take off and run. The arena's really big. The picture doesn't do justice, and it would take off and it would run. Well, I'm being judged on how. I control the sheep. And so I'm, you know, I'm younger at this point. And so what I do is I wrap my arms around its neck. And because it's running, I'm trying to get it to stop. And so the sheep is running all over that. It is dragging me around this arena. And everyone is in the stands laughing at me. And and there'd be wranglers in there. And they're trying to come and they were trying to help me. But I mean, this sheep was so spooked. And so I am being drugged. All over, I'm holding on it with, by its neck, and I'm being drugged all over the place. And when I get out of that, my mom, my, my mom and her friends are all in the arena, and they go, that was so stupid. And I'm, like, crying because it's embarrassing. You know, everyone's watching you. And they're like, that was so stupid. Why were you crying? That was so dumb. And in that moment, I thought, oh, my gosh, I suck at this. Yeah, that was so dumb. I can't, I... I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm like, I'm not good at, I'm not good at this. Take that, take that one out. We don't need that. And then when I was a little bit older, my sister would, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Some of you know what that's like. It's a mental illness. And so I thought, oh my gosh, I didn't protect her. I, I mean, I, that really went, thought. and then I also realized 
there would be no more relationship between me and her because she just is incapable of having one. And so, so much for identifying as an older sister or a sister. From that point forward, I basically operated as an only child. So, no more that. You know, my family, they were actually math whizzes, which was awesome, but I would come home and I would ask for help for my homework because even though I was good at it, I still needed help. And I'd ask for help with my homework and then I, Parents would get so frustrated with me, and they would say, if you don't understand, then we're not going to help you. I can't help you if you don't understand. And I would think, maybe I'm not that good at this. And so what that translated to is, well, if I didn't get the highest grade in the class, then maybe I'm stupid, or maybe I'm really not good at that. So then I would, like, stop trying, because I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, okay, well, I can't identify by that anymore. Like, I didn't know. My dad was a runner in college. He held the mild record which was awesome. And so I'd come home and I'd talk about my times and he would go, oh, well, my time was such and such. And it never dawned on me that I shouldn't be comparing, like, why is this 43-year-old you know, man comparing himself to a middle school girl, but that's weird. <laughs> and I said, you know, you don't think about that. You're in seventh grade. And, I, and he would go, well, my time is whatever, whatever. I'm thinking, oh, I guess I'm slow. <laughs> like, oh, and I stopped, for a while, I stopped Races, I, I, like I stopped because I thought, I'm not as fast as I thought. And lastly, when I was in middle school, what happened? middle school was traumatic for me, jeez. It turned out that my parents were getting a divorce. At the end of my eighth grade year, my parents were getting a divorce, and my dad had affairs. He actually had a lot of them for 10 years. And so what I thought was this intact family became this broken home situation, and so we got forced into this blended family situation because my dad got remarried, and, and it was awful. It was awful. It was explosive and volatile, and anything negative you can imagine, that's what that was, and so I learned, okay, I can't, I can't identify by that. I can't trust that. I, can't. I need to find some other way to identify, and so what happened is I ended up leaving for college with this identity deficit. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to define who I was. I was spiraling downward into this depression. Honestly, my, the beginning of my freshman year in college sucked. I hated college because I didn't know who I was and my brain couldn't make sense of it. I didn't understand any of what was going on. And my life, frankly, felt like this. It just felt like a pile on the floor because I didn't know. Now, some of you, you know, some of you can relate probably to parts of my story, but there's different ways that you've tried to fill this sense of identity, too. You know, it could be through relationships. You know, you don't know who you are outside of having a relationship. And so you're constantly looking for one girlfriend to the next girlfriend, for one boyfriend to the next boyfriend, because you don't know who you are apart from that. You know, it could be, it, you know, Captain America and Thor, best buds. It could be you put all your stock in friendships and choosing the right friends and figuring out you got to be associated with the cool people. Because maybe your family situation sucks too, and you only know how to identify with friends. So that goes in there. And then it could be, you know, it could be who's texting, who's calling, you know, and your whole world hinges on social media. And if you're getting the likes and the, and the attention on your pictures, I mean, that could be how you're identifying yourself. And lastly, it could be school. You know, academics are a huge deal, and they should be, but... If you don't get a perfect grade, 
you don't know who you are because everyone knows you get perfect grades, but then all of a sudden, you know, the guy, your friend stabs you in the back. Then what are you going to do? Then so much for your friend. You better get new friends. Or he starts, you know, dating the girl you liked. Now how are you going to find new friends? You know, you're not getting, people aren't calling, people aren't texting. Now who are you? How come you're not getting the social media attention? Now who are you? You know, you break up with someone. Now, now what? Now how are you going to feel the sense of who you are? You better find something else. And then you've always gotten perfect grades. You get a D on your midterm. You, you flunk a course. Then who are you? Then what are you going to do? Just side note, if you want a t- a, a, just a chance at getting good grades, dude, you guys seriously try going to class. Try going to class. It works, I promise. I learned that lesson the hard way when I was in college. But who, I mean, now what? Now what do you do? And what in the world are you going to do? And here's why I need you to get this as a college student. Here is why this is so, so important. Because what you believe determines how you behave. What you believe determines how you behave. In other words, if you are believing that your identity is changing and you have to constantly look for all these things to fill it, what's going to happen when it's all on the floor? You're going to be unstable and you're just going to be constantly filling this void and not knowing, oh my gosh, what do I do? If you are not banking on what is, what is good and what is right, then you will be in, the, in this endless cycle of trying to fill your sense of identity. Guys, you do not want to do this. Trust me, you do not want to keep living like this. Some people will go their entire lives living like this, and they will never figure it out. That does not need to be any of you. It doesn't. Because what if there was a way that we could believe things about ourselves that were true? What if there was a way that we could actually believe things about our identity that did not change? What if there was a way that we could believe things about who we are that weren't dependent on what people said or didn't say, what people did or didn't do? What if wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you want to know if there was a way we could define our identity that was rooted in something stable and consistent that wouldn't change? Wouldn't you want to know that? I believe with all my heart that you can. I believe that you can know truth about who you are that is consistent and does not change. And I believe that God has a lot to say about this. He has a lot to say about who you are. And when I became a a Christian, when I put my faith in Christ, at the end of my freshman year in college, I was 18 years old, I began to learn things about me that were very different than this. I began to learn that when I was a Christ follower, there were things that were automatically true about my identity that I did not know. And when I began to learn that as someone who has a relationship with Christ, that this was true, That began to change everything for me. Now, I want to unpack this, but I want us to look at something. It's so interesting. I want to, we're going to look at a passage at the beginning of the book of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians is a book in the New Testament. It's written by a man named Paul. He wrote a bunch of letters to a bunch of everyday people just like you and me. And he was writing the book of Ephesians specifically just to give these people a picture of, gosh, who's God? Who's God and who are you and what does God say about who you are? And so he begins this letter by, introduc- by introducing this idea. So here's what I want us to look at. 
the beginning of Ephesians, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Wait, pause for a second. Okay, that sounds churchy. I totally get that. All it means is, hey, God's true. God is true. God is real. So let's just give him the praise that, that he deserves. He has, and he has blessed us in the heavenly realms. He's given us everything we need to do life as a Christ follower. That's all that's saying. Next verse. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. What, what, what this means right here is, hey, God looked at you and he said, hey, I'm going to declare you to be holy and blameless. I'm going to declare you to be perfect. I decided you are perfect just as you are. And because I love you, I'm going to choose you to be adopted into my family. Why? Because I want to. It makes me happy. Because I like that. That's all this is saying. But I don't, the fact that that's all that's saying, it's, there's so much more than that. I have to, let, me, let me put this into perspective right here for a second. Okay, so this word adoption is huge, huge. Okay, the con- here's the context, ready? This is so interesting, people. You're gonna wanna re- read your Bible after this. Okay, here's the context. The people group that Paul was writing to in the book of Ephesians, here's what was going on in their world. When a baby was born and the baby was um, defective or imperfect in any way, they were allowed by the government, totally legal, to go and take the baby and more or less throw it away. They could go and take the baby outside of the... If they decided, hey, you're not perfect, they were legally allowed to go and pile up these babies by the dumpster and leave them there. That was what they were legally allowed to do if they were imperfect. Now, there was a group of people, everyone knew this was happening, and so there's another group of people who what they would do is they would go out to the dumpster and they would take these babies and they would you know, adopt them as their own because they wanted to either fill their brothel or they wanted to raise them to be a slave. Now, knowing that these are the imperfect babies, but it was still cheaper for them to raise an infant than to go and purchase and buy a slave. So that's what they would do. They would go and say, okay, I'm going to I'm adopt all these people who are imperfect. I'm going to raise them as either prostitutes or slaves. So that was, that's one, one thing that's going on behind this word adoption. Okay, here's another thing that's going on. If you were rich and childless, you were allowed to go and to adopt a slave to be your son. Now, remember who the slaves are, right? The slaves were anyone who was imperfect. So you, if you were rich, you can go and you could adopt one of the slaves to be your son. Adoption literally means son placing. So you go and you, you take this slave and you place him to be in your family. Oops, sorry. You place him to be in your family, and now any debts that that slave had was all canceled. The previous identity, totally gone. That, that person was now in your family and had your identity, had all of your status, your rights, your privileges, everything that comes with that. And so you, and it was public, everyone knew. Third thing, fascinating. If you had, son, if you had a son and you decided you did not want him anymore, if you did not like him anymore, you could disown your biological children and adopt a slave to be your son instead. 
Isn't that wild? Totally true. Totally true. If you had a biological child, you could disown them. So when these Ephesians, when they see this word that God adopts you, they're thinking, wait, what? You're saying that God goes in and says, let me take all of you who we think are imperfect, but God says, nope, you're perfect to me. You are perfect to me and puts you in his family with all of his rights and responsibilities and his identity. That was mind-blowing. God takes this idea of adoption and flips it on his head. So here's some things that I want you to not miss about how, what God says about adoption. Here's what he says. He says the first one is, you're chosen. God chooses you. He knows exactly who you are. He still chooses you anyway. Second one is this. He says, you're perfect. You are perfect exactly. You don't have to do anything, earn anything. You are perfect. The third one is this. You cannot be disowned. You, can, you, you cannot be disowned. And the fourth is this. Your identity cannot be altered. It can't be altered. So here's this picture when Paul is saying, hey, I, I, God chooses you. He knows where you're at. And he chooses you and he takes your identity and says, let me give you mine because it's secure and it's stable and it's solid and it's complete. This is, what it, this is what he's doing. He's saying, I'm giving you this identity. I'm giving, you can sit here and you can, I mean, go ahead, try. Dumb examples, that's kind of funny. But, you know, go ahead, try. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's what God did that's what he did for you. That's what he did for me. That's what he did for all of us. He says, I am giving you an identity that is secure and is rooted in truth, and it cannot be altered. And why on earth would he do that? Because he loves you. He loves you. You know, one of the biggest lies that people believe is that they're unlovable. That is one of the biggest lies that people believe that they are unlovable. And when you believe that you are unlovable, you do all sorts of crazy stuff. You do all sorts of... If you, some people, they'll go to one extreme and they'll think, oh, I don't have any, you know, no one's, I don't care about anyone's friend, no one's, why would they want to be my friend, I'm not worth it, and so they'll keep people at a distance. Some people will jump so far into relationships, and girls especially will do this sometimes. They, they will, they'll sleep with a guy because they think they're going to get love back, but it doesn't work like that. And so then they're on the other side going, what is happening? Who am I? But God says, I love you, and so I'm motivated to do all this for you. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates his own love. All that saying is God said, hey, I'm looking at you, and I love you so much you know, I want a relationship with you. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to earn anything. You don't need to try to do anything extra. I'm, I'm going to send my son to die on the cross so that I can have a relationship with you. No strings attached. All you got to do is believe it. All you have to do is believe it. And he looks at you and he says, hey, you might be confused about your identity, but I'm not. I'm not. Case closed. Your identity is secure, solid, complete. There's nothing else you can do. It is not up for negotiation. Your identity is not up for negotiation if you follow Christ. And why is it so important? Why is it so important that I want you to believe this with everything you are? Because here's the bottom line. What you believe determines how you behave. What you believe determines how you behave. If you believe that your identity is secure and solid and complete 
and that you don't need to do anything, then what that does is it allows all these things. You, just, you can do all this stuff in freedom. None of this is bad. Actually, none of it's bad at all. But you're, you're not putting so much weight and stock into this. It's not a life and death situation for you. It's like you can just enjoy this and your world is not rocked if you don't get the A on the test. If you break up with the person that you were dating, you're not going to die. You know, you, you can act in freedom with all of this. And what that does is it gives you confidence. It gives you confidence, and that's what I want for you. I want you to feel like you can be confident in who you are, that you can walk into any sort of situation, and you can go, okay, this may feel uncomfortable, but I can be confident that God says I am secure, that God says I am loved, that God says I am chosen, I am wanted, I am valued just as I am. I don't need to do anything to to add to that. There's nothing I can do that's going to take away from that. I want you to be so overwhelmingly confident that those are the things that are true about you because here's the fact of the matter. If we are not telling our brains what's true, our brain is just going to make stuff up. And if our brain just makes stuff up about us, there's a high probability that things that our brain's making up, that it's not true. And then all of a sudden we're believing things that aren't true and then we're acting. You do not want to go there. You just don't. And you don't need to. God said you don't need to. You do not need to go there. I've already declared you to be complete. You don't need to do all this to fill your sense of identity. Just, let, just do all this in freedom. So you might be thinking, okay, this is great. Now, how do I even move in this direction? Here's three tips that will help you just start headed in this direction, okay? The first one is this. You got to know what God says is true about you. You have to know what God says is true about you. Surround yourselves with people who are like-minded. Get in a small group. Read the Bible, but know what God says is true about you. Because number two, acknowledge the false message of your life. If you don't know what's true, it's going to be so hard to identify what's false. If you don't know what's true, it's going to be really hard to identify what's false. But when you know it's false, acknowledge it. We all at times, I all the time believe crazy false things about myself, but I need to acknowledge it and, and move on. Acknowledge it and move on. The third thing is tell someone. Tell someone. Tell a friend. There's so much power in verbally saying some of this stuff out loud. My friends hear me say the most wild things about myself. But that's the thing. They're hearing me say it. Because I, I have learned that if I don't get this stuff out of my head, it will eat me alive. And all of a sudden, my behavior is changing. And I'm starting to head down this direction of believing things that aren't true. But if I know what's true, I know it's false, and then I just say it, then the people in my life can be a sounding board to say, you are believing some messed up crap. And they say that to me, which is so good. And so some of you, you might be thinking, okay, I have tried that. That is, I, I'm stuck. I feel, I feel stuck. Like, I, I feel stuck with that. Last week, we talked about, we have mentors here at church, the Renew Mentors. And basically, they take you through all of this stuff over several months of period of time. And they just help you dig through this and figure out what's true, what's not. And they help you at the end of that, okay, now I can identify confidently, this is true about me, this is not. So if you sit here and you go, gosh, I would love to move in this direction, um, but this doesn't feel like enough, I feel stuck, then please come find either me or Christina or Mitch or Brad or Christian, and we will help connect you because we do not want you to be stuck because 
If what you believe determines how you behave, we want you to believe what's absolutely 100% true about you. We want you to believe that you are secure, that your identity is complete. We want you to live in that sort of freedom. It's important. Please, please, please do not let this night go by without at least considering this. It will change the direction of your life. Imagine what it would look like. Imagine what that would look like if you lived with that kind of confidence. There's nothing you can do that will change your identity because God says it's done. It's done. You are secure. You are loved. You are chosen and you're complete. You just got to believe it. It is true. It is true. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for how you love us. God, thank you for the ways that, gosh, you just are constantly orchestrating people and things in our life to show us that you love us. I pray for every single person in this room that we would be able to clearly identify what is false, like what are these false things that we're believing about ourselves. God, I pray that we would be a people that are so rooted in truth that we would know that what you say about us is true, that we can trust you, that you are good. God, I pray that we would be so confident that you are for us, that your plans for us are for a purpose that is only gonna benefit us. So God, all of that truth, would that be in our hearts and in our minds and would our actions reflect it? God, we love you and we just thank you for how you love us. Amen.